Daxa Church. Hi, everyone. Go ahead and take your seats. All right. Welcome. My name is Lauren Larson, and I help to lead a connection group here at Daxa. Go ahead and turn your Bibles to 1 John chapter 2. We'll read it together. My little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but for the whole world. And by this we know that we have come to know him, if we keep his commandments. Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word, in him truly the love of God is perfected. By this we may know we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. Let's pray. Our Father, we love you. We praise you. You are good and you are holy. Your goodness is running after us. Um, You're always pursuing us and always loving us. Thank you, God, for sending your son, Jesus. Thank you for the blood of Jesus. And Jesus, thank you for um, your advocacy. We know that you intercede for us always, that you're a friend to us. Um, We trust you, Jesus, and we love you. Holy Spirit, I ask you to lead Rob this morning and give him wisdom. Um, Help him to open up the word to us. And may we have ears to listen and hearts to receive your word, God. May we go forth being changed by your word and transformed by the renewal of our minds in your word. Um, We love you, Lord. We surrender this time to you, and um, we pray all of this in the name of Jesus. Amen. All right. Well, thank you, Lauren. Good morning, Doxa, if you are new and we haven't had a chance to meet yet. My name is Rob, one of the pastors. I'm excited to, to be together with you guys today to open up the Bible together, but we are three weeks into our, our study through this great letter of, of 1 John. And as we get going today, going through chapter 2, we're going to continue listening to a guy named John, who, as we talked about, is, was Jesus' best, most faithful friend. And throughout this letter, you know, he's talking to us about faith. He's talking to us about walking with God, about living a life filled with faith, about loving God, about salvation. And as we get into this, I wanted to just kind of start off by asking you a question just to consider. And it's this, how do you really know that you are in the family of God? I mean, how do you, how do you know that? I know some of you, like this is a big question. Like you're constantly wondering, like, does God love me? Do I actually have salvation? So I would ask you like, how confident are you of your salvation? I mean, is it even possible to know like, where I stand with God. Am I like, am I cool with him? Like, do I have salvation? Is forgiveness of sin actually mine? mine? Am I bound for heaven? Like, can you even know that? I just want you to think about that, okay? Because this was the big issue at the time that John is writing this letter. People were asking these questions because here's what's happening as John is writing to this group of Christians. All right, at this time, a group of professing Christians had really just bailed the church. They, they left the church. They, they abandoned their faith in Jesus that if you look ahead in 1 John chapter 2, I think it's verse 19, you'll see that there was this group that just kind of slowly just abandoned everybody. And this, in this church, like questions started raising up about eternal security, about assurance of salvation. And here's how John puts it in, in 1 John chapter 2, verse 19, if you look. John says, they went out from us, but they were not of us. 
For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us, but they went out that it might be plain that they all are not of us. And so as some of these professing Christians left the church, the church members that were kind of just still faithfully gathering there, walking with Jesus, they were likely just kind of sitting there like asking John, like, hey, John, like I I thought that you said and you taught us that when a person believed in Jesus, they had eternal life. This is the gospel of John chapter three, verse 16. And they were thinking like, hey, I, I thought you taught us that when the sheep hear Jesus's voice, that he will give them eternal life and that no one can snatch them out of his hand. John chapter 10, verse 27. But now these people, they've left the church, they've turned away from Jesus. And these people that are talking to John, they're basically asking like, what are we to even think about this? And John's answer to these questions is really just simply to say, like, I haven't changed anything that I've taught you. And he says, like, the sheep are completely, eternally secure in the hand of Jesus, and they do, in fact, have eternal life. And what John says is that this group of people that left the church, they were really never part of Jesus' flock. Hear me on this, that they were in the church, but they were not in Christ. And I really need you to understand this, that you can be in the church and you can enjoy relationships with people without being in Christ and receiving salvation from God. And someone in here needs to hear this because you're very susceptible to this, especially if you kind of grew up in the church, you did the religious thing, you did the church game. There's a big difference. And so John says, they were never of us because if they were of us, if they had true saving faith and they were one of the sheep, they would have continued with us. That the sheep are eternally secure in the hands of Jesus and they prove it and they have assurance by persevering in their faith, by keeping walking with Jesus. And so what was happening is that this church was faced with some like big, honestly, just some, some disturbing questions. And they were asking John, like if our own church leaders can like abandon the teachings of Jesus and just walk away and be lost, then how are we to know who is genuine and who is not? These people were really just asking John, like, how do we know who is really a Christian and with us and who's just kind of playing the church game? How do we know these things, John? And even more, they're kind of thinking about their own life. And they're like, these other people, these leaders, these, these professing Christians, they're walking away. Like, what do we think about ourselves? Like, how do we really know that we are in the family of God? And as John writes this letter, this is his overall concern. All right, that John's big overarching goal is to give Christians assurance of their salvation. And this is what we see if you turn ahead to chapter 5, verse 13. John says this, he says, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know you have eternal life. All right, that you may know that you have eternal life and are in the family of God. And if you read through, if you guys have been reading through the letter of 1 John through this t- teaching series, you'll pick up on this. All right, John uses the word know some 30 times throughout this letter that he repeatedly says that there's some things that you need to know. And so he's going to help us today, and he's going to help us today know whether or not we are in the family of God today, and here's how he starts, chapter 2, verse 1, look back. My little children, all right, and I'm going to pause here, okay, because this this is very important. We talked about this a few weeks ago, but as John is writing this letter, he's just a, a very old man who's really just kind of functioning as like a spiritual grandfather. As he's writing this letter, he's, he's likely around 90 to 100 years old. He started following Jesus as like a late teen, maybe in his early 20s, and God has just caused John to become a very loving pastor. And as we read this letter, I want you to picture this 
All right, picture it kind of like a, a family meeting with Grandpa John. All right, because this is what's going on. You guys have those family meetings in your, in your families? I mean, every now and again, we have these with ours. It's like, all right, kids, everybody, we get on the couch, and it's kind of saying, here's what's going on, here's what we need to know, and here's how we're moving forward as a family. And I, and I say this to say because I really want you to understand that as we're going through 1 John, that really this is kind of like that. This is just a family meeting. Because we know like from looking at history that the early church most likely met in homes because in this time Christians were persecuted and opposed and so as they would gather, they would tend to gather more privately than publicly in each other's homes. And as John sends this letter out, all right, it would have been read by various Christian groups gathered all around the city in homes. And so you can just picture that as they're reading this letter, Right? There's people around the kitchen table, there's people on the beanbag chair over in the corner playing Nintendo, and all of a sudden, the leader of that Christian group just kind of comes up and says, hey guys, come on, circle up, we got a family meeting, we got a letter from Grandpa John. And they get together and they read it. And John starts off by saying, my little children. It's this tone of like a loving affection, this close affection, like a grandfather sitting around the fire with his kids, and he's just gonna say over and over again, my children, my beloved, that this is just an old man who has walked with Jesus for many years, who was just filled with the love of God, and he's coming alongside young people to help them understand the truths of who Jesus is and the truth of their lives. And throughout this letter, John just lovingly shares some things that we need to know. And at the beginning here of chapter two, he gives us some basic principles of the Christian life, all right? He kind of rewinds it and says like, here's like the, the basics, all right? I know some of you, you wanted to get into these deep theological discussions and you wanna start talking about the 301 type class and John just kind of rewinds it back and says, here's the basics. And he rolls out six family rules. And through these six things, he answers this big question that's being asked, like how do we really know that we're in the family? And what John's going to do is he's going to start off by looking at Jesus, and then he's going to cause us to look at our own lives to answer this question. And here's what he says, principle number one, family rule number one, John basically says this, don't mess with stuff that's going to get you in trouble. Look at verse one, my little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. So that you may not sin, okay? So here's what he's saying. One of the goals of the Christian life is not to sin, right? I mean, how many of you, you know this is a goal, but you've yet to ever meet that goal, right? Everybody's hands goes up in here, right? Because none of us are, none of us are sinless. There's only one, his name is Jesus, the rest of us, just broken, sinful people, continuing to need the grace of God. But John is saying, I'm writing these things to you. And these things that he's referencing to are back to chapter one, verses five through 10 that we looked at last week. And he says, I'm writing all of this so that you may not sin. Now, if you look back and remember back to last week in verses 5 through 10 of chapter 1, John really just was telling us that sin is a very real part of the human story and that throughout all of our lives, we will all sin, that every single one of us, we have sin in our past, our present, in our future. And so John made it clear that in this life, we cannot be sinless. But what he says here, if you look, is that we can sin less because we are now in like an intimate fellowship with the father through his son jesus christ and here's what i want you to know i need you to understand the heart and understanding behind john's words here all right doxa 
I need you to know that sin is very serious. And I know that we talk about sin a lot because you can't really understand the goodness of God and the gospel of Jesus if we don't talk about sin. But one of the risks that Christians have is we get used to talking about the same stuff. But I need you to understand that sin is very serious and we should not take it lightly at all. And so let me give you like two reasons that John shows us in this letter why sin is so serious. And my prayer is that as we consider this, and this landed on me this week as I was prepping this, that we would be understanding like the seriousness of sin and we would be pushed towards holiness with greater discipline. But the first reason that sin is so serious is because it insults the suffering of Christ. So if you look at chapter three, verse 18, or verse eight rather, John says that the reason that the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. All right, so the reason that Jesus came into the world and was suffered and, and, and died was to destroy sin. And the Apostle Paul, he kind of echoed this same exact thing in Ephesians chapter five and Titus chapter two, where he says that Christ died to redeem us from sin, to purify himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. And so what all this means is that whenever we sin, we really join those who think the cross is just foolish. All right, that if the aim of the cross is to purify the church and to give victory over the sin, like we cannot honestly regard the cross as the wisdom of God when we sin. Because when we sin, what we in effect do is we tell Jesus, like, I don't regard your suffering as like a sufficient incentive for me not to do this action. That you may have died for me, and this might be your will for my life, and you may have died to prevent me from doing this, but I'm just going to do it anyway. And when we do this, we really just insult the suffering of Christ. And we say, you're not worth it. And that is very, very serious. But the second reason that sin is so serious is because it suggests that we have the nature of Satan rather than God. Again, 1 John chapter 3, verse 8. He says, whoever commits sin is of the devil. Now really, this is just a hard conversation. That's why we're led off with saying, this is Grandpa John, all right? This isn't some young pastor that's yelling at people and hitting them over the head with a, a Bible. This is just an old guy saying, here's some things that you need to know. But he says, whoever commits sin is of the devil. And then if you look at verse nine, he gives the opposite, saying that no one born of God makes a practice of sinning, for God's nature abides in him. Now, we ask questions when we come to the Bible. So what are we to make of this, right? Because you could be sitting here and thinking like, okay, so we, is this like demanding like perfection? But the truth is, guys, we, we don't take these verses to imply perfection in the life of the Christian because that would contradict the gospel truth that he shares in chapter one, that we're all sinful. But the statements here by John seem to be referencing a lifestyle of perpetual sin. Sinning that is just like unhated, it's enjoyed, and it's just continually, consistently lived in. And so at the very least, we can say from these verses that sin is very serious because it's not of the fruit of God's nature, and it's the fruit of Satan's nature. That when we sin, we're acting the way that Satan does. Listen to this, okay? There's a pastor theologian named John Piper. He says it like this, and I quote. He says, there are two songs in this world the song of Satan and the song of Christ. When you sin, your heart is tuned to the song of Satan and you play it his way. But when you act from faith and obedience to God's word, your heart is tuned to the song of Christ and you play it his way. And it is a very serious thing when you find your heart again and again and again whistling the song 
of Satan is a very big deal. And so John's pointing out the reality that sin is a very serious thing in our life. And he wants us to know, and I want you to know, that sin will kill you. It will kill your joy. It will kill your hope. It will kill your intimacy with God and people. And it will lead you away from the promises of God and the assurance that he offers us of his salvation. It's that serious. But here's what tends to happen in the life of the church when we talk about sin. All right, there's some that are just too permissive when it comes to sin and some that are too punitive. And so those that are very permissive, they say, yeah, we're all sinners. Jesus died for sin and so just do whatever you want. It doesn't really matter. Jesus loves us, Jesus forgives us and they don't take sin seriously at all. And I know that there's some of you in here like that. You're like Jesus, you got the tattoo, the cross and all that stuff and you just live however you want and your life is absolutely crazy and sinful. John's got some things to say today. But those that are more punitive, here's what they say. They'll come up to you and say, well, this is what God's word says. You fell short, you messed up. I'm gonna tell you how terrible you are. I'm gonna show you how much God must hate you because you're so wicked and sinful. I'm gonna show you all the ways that you fail and I'm just gonna pound you like a nail. And some of you guys, you grew up in churches like that that you were constantly just being beat over the head and you pointed out in your sin and the grace of Jesus was just not there. But with John, what we see is it's not permissive and it's not punitive. John holds up the standard of God, which is just sinless perfection. But then he also acknowledges the fallen nature of humanity that we all sin. And so what John says is sin is very serious, but he's also a realist that we all sin. And while we should fight for holiness and stay away from sin, we will all still sin until we're face to face with Jesus in glory. But here is the big question then. Like, what do we do when we in fact sin? Family rule number two. John basically says, when you mess up, you always have someone to turn to. Look at verses one and two again. My little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin, but, but if anyone does sin, We have an advocate. I want you to circle advocate in your Bible. We have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. So John says that we should fight for holiness. We should fight for Christ's likeness by fighting sin. But if and when we do sin, here's what we need to know. That no matter what happens and what we do, we are never alone. And I guarantee you there's someone here that needs to hear this. That no matter how far you may stray away from Jesus because of sin in your life, and no matter how wrong the actions are and how severe the consequences are, Christian, you have an advocate. You have an advocate with the Father through Jesus Christ, the righteous. And when John says, if anyone does sin, all right, this is a statement that's really just unqualified as to the person. And so young, old, spiritually mature, spiritually immature, just regular people, pastors, right? This is including all people, that the ground is level at the foot of the cross and no one has privilege and status in Christianity, that God doesn't love certain people more than he loves other people because you're in more Bible studies and you're more Christian and you're more holy. Like God just loves, and John is talking about all people here. But in this statement, he's also like talking about unqualified as to sin. All right, that John doesn't divide up sins into categories. And I know a lot of Christians, we we tend to do this, right? He doesn't say, here's like the really big sins. 
that you need to stay away from because these are really bad. And then here's the little sins that aren't so big. All right, if you grew up Catholic, right, you'll notice that he doesn't say here that here's the mortal sins, those sins that are just damnable, and they'll send you straight to hell. And but here's like the more venial sins. These are the forgivable ones. He doesn't do that here. He just says that if anyone does sin, meaning any sin, any person, and he says, like, we can find forgiveness because we have an advocate. Now, that word advocate, all right, it really just means one who is called alongside to help in a time of need. And John uses this word several times throughout his gospel, talking about the Holy Spirit in the life of a Christian. And the word best there translated is helper, that the Holy Spirit of God is really just our helper. But here in 1 John, the word advocate points to one who not only helps us, but hear me on this, he lends his voice in our defense. And he speaks on our behalf that Jesus is our advocate. And so what this means is this, is that, guys, and I love this, and this will give us like confidence in our salvation, assurance of our salvation from Jesus. But as a Christian, you actually have two advocates. Or you have an advocate in your life indwelling you in the person of the Holy Spirit who speaks to you on God's behalf, convicting you of sin, in sharing the truths of the gospel and empowering your life to overcome sin. But you also have an advocate in heaven, Jesus Christ the righteous, who speaks to God on your behalf. Or if you're familiar with your Bible, the author of Hebrews says that we have a great high priest that's always interceding for us. And so I just want you to picture it like this. The imagery here is really just a courtroom. All right, anybody keep up with like the Johnny Depp, Amber Heard situation? It's probably good. It was just a train wreck. Entertaining at times, but just oversat, right? It's just bad. But we love courtroom dramas, right? If you just think about like some of the shows throughout history that have just like literally just kept going on and on, these courtroom shows, people love them. Because there's something about like lawyers and judges, that whole scene just seems to like fascinate us. But in a courtroom scene, there's four primary people. Now you have the judge, the prosecutor, the defense attorney, and the defendant. And so picture in your mind, as John is talking about an advocate, that God is judge. The prosecutor is Satan, and you are the accused. And the attorney for your defense is Jesus, who intercedes with the judge on your behalf. Like, this is really just honestly like a beautiful picture of the gospel. Like, when you understand this, it is amazing. Because if you're familiar with your Bible, you know, you think about places like Revelation chapter 12, where it talks of Satan as the accuser of Christians. That what he does is that he accuses people before the throne of God night and day. This is Revelation chapter 12. And so when Rob Warren sins, all right, I can just imagine Satan rushing into the presence of God to accuse me. And I can almost hear him like quoting scripture and kind of saying like, hey, you know, like the penalty for sin is death. Rob just sinned and he keeps sinning. He should die. And he's accusing me. He's like, he, he should die. Can we just send him straight to hell for his sin? And then I can imagine my defense attorney, the Lord Jesus, saying, yeah, Father, he's for sure guilty of that sin. He did it. There's no doubt. But Father, I went to the cross for that sin. 
And when Rob was 24 years old, he came to me. He put his faith in me. He asked me to take his sin, to give him my righteousness, and I took his place. And in that moment, my atonement, my forgiveness, my pardon was applied to him, and his sins are forgiven. And my defense attorney, my advocate, Jesus, says, Father, he's covered. Like, Rob is mine. This is the advocate. Jesus speaks for me, and he stands in my place for me, and he takes all my sin and guilt, and the judge says, not guilty, court adjourned. Doxa, this is the gospel. It's Jesus in my place, God saving sinners. And as an advocate, Jesus is who and what we need above everything else in this life because he's the only way to escape the effects of sin in our life and have eternal life with God, circumventing and missing the terrible reality of hell. And if you look at verse two, John explains why it is that Jesus can function as our advocate and forgive our sins. John says that he's the propitiation for our sins. Okay, now this is a big word, right? And it took me a while to even pronounce it, but this is a really important word, and I want you to understand like this, this big word in a really simple way, all right? Because propitiation really occurs four times in the New Testament, and it's very, very important to understanding who Jesus is. And here's what propitiation means. It's the death of Jesus in our place for our sin. All right, propitiation is turning away, is the turning away of God's wrath against sinners by the means of an atoning sacrifice. And so I just want you to understand what propitiation is. It's four things, all right? Number one, we need to understand that God is holy and we are sinful. And this is the problem, that God cannot be in the presence of sin because he's holy, he's perfectly righteous, which means because he is holy and we are sinful, we cannot be with God. Number two, God hates sin. And so while God loves people that he created every single person, the problem is is that people sin. And it's not just that God cannot be in the presence of sin, but he actually says repeatedly throughout scripture that he hates sin. And as a result of this, number three, our sin brings God's wrath. And wrath is typically something that we don't talk about in church a little bit. Like, you know, we we like to hear about the love of God, the grace of God, Jesus with little kids and lambs. But the wrath of God is a big theme throughout the scriptures. And our sin brings God's wrath. And wrath is just God's holy action of justice against sin. And the truth is, like we sing about the goodness of God. But in order for God to truly be good, he must act justly. And he must judge sin. Otherwise, he wouldn't be good. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1 speaks of the wrath of God coming for sin. And so you just need to understand when we talk about the wrath of God, God would fail to be good if he just left it and there was no penalty for sin. But this wrath will come upon sin. And then number four, Jesus turns away the wrath of God from us. That Jesus' death on the cross satisfied the wrath of God. And as the God-man... Jesus is our propitiation. And this is why when you understand this and you're reading through places in the Bible like Isaiah where it talks about how it like pleased God, that God delighted in the crushing of Jesus, this is why. Because God so loves us, he loves you, that he came in flesh as the God-man Jesus to die for you, to be the propitiation for your sin. 
that Jesus really just takes us out of the path of the wrath of God. This is the gospel. All right, so John is saying that we're all sinners. We all deserve condemnation and hell that our sin brings, but Jesus is our advocate and he's the propitiation for our sin and there's assurance of salvation through faith because it's all about who Jesus is and what Jesus has done. Because it's not about what we have done, it's not about what we currently do, it's not about the things and the sin that we're gonna get to in our future, but it's all about Jesus and he's our advocate. And so the identity of Jesus brings us assurance of salvation. And so when you sin, you can think and understand the God-man Jesus as an advocate, as a propitiation. And there is freedom in this. There's assurance in this because it's not about me and my broken life, but it's about Jesus in his perfect life. So he talks about Jesus and his identity, but now John kind of pivots the conversation and he moves from looking at the life of Jesus to now having us look at our own lives. And so get ready to squirm a little bit, but hear me on this. I'm not coming after you. I'm trying to take the posture of John as a loving grandfather, even though I'm not old, but I'm just trying to love you and say, this is what you need to know. But he makes us look at our own lives. The third Christian principle, the third family rule is this. Live like you're part of the family. Verse three. And by this, we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commands. And so John says, you want to know if you know, you want to know if you're in the family, look at your life. Do you keep the commands? That he shifts from looking at Jesus for our assurance, and now he's causing us to consider our own lives as a means of assurance. And what he is saying is that the the best proof that we have come to know Jesus and are securely in the family of God is that if our life is marked by obedience, Or to put it in John's word, that your life is marked by keeping the commands. And so here's what you need to know, Doxa. The essence of the Christian life is obedience. And again, I know we don't like talking about obedience as Christians, but this is really an essence of Christian living. And I know that some of you, you come from like very legalistic upbringings where your walk with God, your faith You know, it was all about following rules. It was all about religion. It was all about your actions. It was not about Jesus. It wasn't about his grace at all. And it's kind of tainted you. And some of you have a very poor view of obedience and grace. But it's not all about just you, right? Because what John is saying is it starts with Jesus. That's where he starts. It's all about Jesus and his work as an advocate and our propitiation, that none of your good works and obedience will get you forgiveness of sin. None of your good works will bring you into the family of God. If someone just showed up at your house, right, and joined your family for dinner, and then they started doing your dishes and vacuuming your floor, would that bring them into your family? It's like, no, you're in our house, but like you're not in our family for doing our dishes. The same way is true when we come to Jesus. It's not just by doing a bunch of good things, but it's all about his work. But hear me on this. While obedience is not the means of salvation, obedience is the evidence of salvation that we say that we have. And John says that if you are actually with Jesus, that if you're in Christ through faith, here's what's true of you. Your life will be marked by following Jesus' words, works, and ways. Because to know God is simply to love God, and to love God is to obey God. And this obedience that John is getting at reveals the genuineness of our faith. And being Jesus' best, most faithful friend, I wonder if he's like reaching back into his memory and thinking about that last supper with Jesus, where Jesus just hit this hard. 
Do you remember what he said in John 14? It's gonna come up here on the screen. At this last supper, this is what Jesus says. If you love me, you will keep my commands. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. But as John learned this from Jesus, he understood the importance of the gospel's connection to obedience. And so, Doxa, I'll just like lovingly tell you this. If we look at our lives and see a pattern of living like Jesus and obeying his voice, there should be great assurance in your standing with God and that your faith is real and you're actually a Christian. It's assurance, but understand this. It's because I love God and I know God and I've seen his beauty and his glory and his love and his grace that I delight in obeying him. That my obedience is not a burden, it's a blessing. And John is saying, if we really love God as a result of all that Jesus has done for us, our natural response in our brokenness, in our frailty, will be to want to obey him. And so John says obedience is an important avenue of insurance. Not insurance, like the State Farm guy's not coming up, right? Assurance, right? But this leads into the next Christian life principle, all right? Family rule number four. John says, actions speak louder than words. Verse four. Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commands is a liar. And the truth is not in him. Now, this is like very direct. Picture Grandpa John, not yelling at his grandkids, but lovingly saying, if you live like this, you're a liar and the truth is not in you. But here's what we got. All right, there were people of this time that John is addressing And they're saying, like, I've come to know and love Jesus. And John is just saying, man, that is awesome. Like, that's amazing. Congratulations. I'll see you in heaven. But then he says, just to be clear, the one who says that, yet does not, with some sense of regularity, keep God's commands, is a liar. And it's kind of intense. But here's what John's saying. Talk is cheap. It's cheap. I mean, think about it like this. What we do is what we really believe. I mean, if you look at your life, it says what you really believe, that if the gospel is in you, it will come out of you as obedience, which will serve us as evidence and lead us to assurance. And in this time of John's writing, and in our time today, there are many people that will say, I know him. And what John is saying is that if your life will give you assurance that you actually know him. And when the New Testament writers, when they talk about knowing God, they're not just referring to like an intellectual agreement on some specific facts or truths. That knowing God is not just knowing things about him, but it's a relationship that starts with faith. And then it's deepened. It's an ever-deepening relationship that is evidenced by love for him and obedience to him. And so one of the ways that you know you are a Christian and in the family of God is if you desire to obey God. And so if you're here in this place and you have like no interest in doing what God says, and if God's words and ways are of no importance to you, that should be the equivalent of like a check engine light in your car saying something might be incredibly wrong. And even if you are here, Guys, I love that you're here. It's one of my highest honors to teach you the Bible. It wasn't that many years ago that I was sitting in a place like this, had zero concern for that. 
But the goodness of God came running after me. And he's running after you because you're here, and that's evidence of that. But let me just explain like this check engine light, okay? So if I just bring it into my life a little bit. If I say I love you to my wife, right, at some point I gotta pick up the vacuum, right? I gotta take out the trash. Because if I keep saying like I love you, Lisa, but then I treat her disrespectfully, I treat her unfairly or abusively, then it would be fair to say that I really don't love my wife. Because if I don't love, live my life like loving her and showing her that I love her, do I actually love her? I say no, because love is action. And what John is showing us is that the truth that we actually believe is the truth that we actually live. That if I really understand the story of Jesus, and that story will be played out on the stage of my life, And this is what I've come to learn, that when you really understand the gospel, it changes everything about you. See, the gospel as we see it and understand it here at Doxa is not just about you going to heaven. It's about changing everything about us. It's about seeing the life and the love of Jesus being played out on the stage of our life. And so just let me ask you this, is the story of Jesus being played out in your life? Think about that. This is what John is just begging us to consider today. Is your life marked by obedience? At your connection group this week, I I beg you just to put down the facade and just don't be plastic for a time and just be real. And if it is, praise the Lord. Thank him, worship him. If it's not, ask him for help and ask others. Now, before you misunderstand me on this, okay, this is not referring to somebody who like blows it occasionally because we all do that, right? I mean, as it relates to like Lisa, I can stand here and tell you that I love that woman, but I will also tell you that there are times where I am just a jerk, and I'm not nice to her, and I'm impatient with her, and I don't speak tenderly to her, but that is not the overarching theme of our marriage. I do blow it sometimes, but that doesn't mean I don't love her. It means that I'm broken and sinful and continually need Jesus, my advocate and my strength. And Doxa, the same is true in our relationship with God. That when, when John says, does not keep the commands in verse four, all right, the verb tense here is like pointing to like a consistent, like habitual practice or pattern. And so John is talking about the person who says they, they love the Lord, but they consistently don't live like Jesus. He's not talking about the person who says, man, I love the Lord and I occasionally fail to keep his commands. There's a big difference there. He's addressing these people that he's saying, there's no fruits of the spirit of Galatians 5 seen in your life and you're consistently sinning. And so if you're here and you say, I love Jesus and I'm following him, but occasionally I blow it and I sin and I mess up, you're in good company here at Doxa. As one of your pastors, I say that I'm with you and praise the Lord for Jesus as an advocate, amen? I mean, this is the only hope that we have. But for others of you, and maybe you're sitting here and you're realizing that your life is marked more by sin than the life of Jesus, and instead of like growing as a follower of Jesus, instead of growing the love of God, you're continuing in patterns of sin and you're distancing yourself from God. If that's you, I I want you to know that there's hope. This is why John wrote this, to speak to you. And so don't feel attacked, don't feel ashamed, don't feel offended, feel encouraged, feel seen and feel loved. Because Jesus lived for you, he died for you, and he rose for you, and he loves you, and he wants to help you. The question is, will you go to him today?
Principle number five, family rule number five, obedience reveals how much you love your father. Verse five, but whoever keeps his word in him, truly the love of God is perfected. Here's what John is saying. Keeping the commands of God is not the way of knowing God, that it's only faith in Jesus. But what John is saying is that keeping the commands and following Jesus' words, works, and ways are a clear sign and indicator that we actually do know God, that we love God, and we're in the family. And the phrase, the love of God here, if you look back, this is referring to our love for God. That as we walk with Jesus and follow Jesus and obey his voice, our love for God grows and our love for God matures. And here's the beauty in all this. At least this is true like in my life, that the more I know Jesus, the more I love Jesus, and the more I love Jesus, the more I know him. And so John is saying that growing in our love of God is another avenue of assurance that we can have of being in him or in the family. And then finally, the last principle of the Christian life, family rule number six is this. John says, when you're looking for an example to follow, choose Jesus. Verse six, by this we may know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. Doxa, when you are looking for a hero or a role model, don't primarily look to pastors or theologians. Don't primarily look to your parents or your grandparents or social media influencers or wildly successful entrepreneurs. Look to Jesus. Walk like him, talk like him, love like him, give like him, pattern your life after his life. And if you're new to Doxa, this is literally what we're trying to do here in this church family, to help each other to walk like Jesus. And John says that if your life is gradually being conformed to the image and the likeness of Jesus, and you're seeing the story and the life of Jesus play out in your life, you can know that you have eternal life, that you're in him, that you're in the family, there's assurance there. But to do this, To live like Jesus, you need to continually get to know him. You can't follow someone that you don't know. And this primarily comes through spending time with him through the words that he's given to us in the Bible, the scriptures. And this is why we seek to be a Bible-saturated church, that this is a value of ours because we want to know him more, because that will cause us to love him more, and that will give us assurance of our salvation. This will lead us to living like and loving like and giving like and serving like him. And more and more that we do this, God will be glorified, people will be helped, and this is the goal, to walk as Jesus walked. And this not only gives us assurance, but it gives God glory, and it helps people around us meet the Jesus that loves them. This is the Christian life, and so I'm out of time, but here's how I'll end. Doctor, you have a lot to think about, we all do. God wants to have and to give you like assurance in your salvation. He wants to give you assurance that you are in his family. And this comes from who Jesus is and what he has done, and it's evidenced by your life. And so here's my question that I want to leave you with. Where are you at? I mean, really, it's really easy to come here and listen to information. It's a harder thing to ask these, like, introspective questions. This is a text that really kind of becomes a mirror. And we start to see ourselves, where are you at? Are you kind of in that place where you're like, oh my gosh, I'm a liar. I'm a liar. 
I say this thing and I say just the same things that these people were saying, I love him, I'm in him, I'm here, aren't I? But then you look at your life and it's just a pattern of sin and you realize you've never come to Jesus before. If you're in that place of being a liar, God is so, so good that he brought you here today so that you could come to Jesus and that Jesus can be your advocate and that Jesus can be your propitiation and this could be the greatest day of your life that will point you to eternal life. Come to Jesus. This is why this church exists, to help people to know Jesus, who is what we need and who we need above everything. Are you in this place where you're just kind of like struggling in life right now? Right, that you're like, man, I think I actually do love Jesus. And I think, like, I think I see the story of Jesus playing out on the stage of my life, but sin has a grip on me. But I'm being drug around on a leash by sin right now. There is good news. You have an advocate. You have a helper who not just intercedes for you with the Father and forgives you when you sin, but he empowers you to live like Jesus. That the Christian life is not just something that I live for God, it's something that God lives through me through the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit. And so if that's you, you're struggling, you're being drug on a leash by sin, go to Jesus. Go to your advocate, go to your strength and ask him to help and he'll meet you. Or maybe you're in that place where you're like, man, I think I'm, right now I'm all right. Like I got some like things going on and, but I'm like taking it to Jesus and I'm loving and leading and giving and serving like I never have and it's all Jesus, it's not me. Keep going, keep going. And don't think you can do it on your own but keep your eyes fixed on him. It's Jesus, it's always Jesus. He's our advocate. He gives us assurance, he gives us salvation, he gives us strength. And it's our lives that show us if our love and faith in Jesus is real. So we have some stuff to think about. I'm gonna give you a minute just to sit and reflect on this, because what I don't want is for this time to pass and you to feel like the Spirit convicting you and then walk out of here and forget it. So listen to the words of Psalm 139. The psalmist says, search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there be any grievous way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Go before the Father right now and just say, search me. Ask him to show you, ask him to change you, and then we're going to worship him because he's there.